This morning's scripture readings are from Paul's letter to the Colossians and the Ephesians. Firstly, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, which is on page 844, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Secondly is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, which is on page 838. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Happy New Year, everyone. Good to see you guys. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here. Very excited to gather with you guys and enter into the season of, of worship and talking about what worship is, what it means, and how we can do it well as a church body. Um, The essence of worship is to cherish and exalt Christ as our greatest gain. You know, when the Apostle Paul, who was one of the world's sort of first Christians, talked about and reflected on the worth of his life, he said this, he said, to live is Christ, yet to die is gain. Life for Paul was to love, to display to share with others the name of Jesus. And to die was for him to sing of Jesus' love forever. And face to face, what a privilege. And that is what worship is, to cherish Christ as our greatest gain. And all we do, and all we sing. The two primary ways the New Testament conceives of how, or sorry, when we ought to cherish and exalt Christ. A, during our everyday lives the way we think, the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, 24-7, 365. This is worship unto God, or failure to worship, an absence of worship. But B, worship also takes place through corporate gatherings as a body. How we receive God's Word to us taught and applied, and then respond primarily with song. We sing back to God our gratefulness. We sing back to Him truths even about what we just read. And so His truth and His love gets cemented into our hearts as we worship Him. It's beautiful. And so our series title for this series is Worship, Singing, and Living. As we make our way up to this awesome praise band coming to join us and bless us through song, we want to talk, we want to think about how we worship as a church body through our singing and our living. Our two readings this morning teach us pretty much the same thing about worship. But they arrive to us in two very different contexts. We don't have a lot of time to get into this. Let me just say it briefly, though. Colossians chapter 3, the emphasis there is on the corporate gathering of the church body. So, for instance, in in chapter 3, verse 13, you see another appear three times, as in bearing with one another. Don't complain to each other, to one another. Forgive one another. And then uh, in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts. 
you all, y'all's hearts, to which y'all were called in one body. That's why y'all still has good meaning. And that's what Paul is using the plural you there. Y'all, you guys, coming together, called to peace with one another. So there the weight is on the foot of when y'all get together. But in Ephesians 5, there's this expanded emphasis on the everydayness of worship. The sort of Monday through Saturdayness of worship. Look carefully at how you walk, Ephesians 5.15. Making the best use of the time, because the days are short or evil. This is the context of Ephesians 5. The idea is, how do you use your time outside these walls? Do you use them to worship, to cherish, to adore Christ? And so we see both the singing together and the living outside these walls. There's this symbiotic relationship of song and life. That's what's so brilliant about having both Ephesians and Colossians here. The symbiotic relationship between song and life. Songs encapsulate life the way nothing else does, right? I have climbed the highest mountains. I have walked through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? You too. You, you too describes finding that great you that we pined for our whole lives only to find that there's actually another, out, another you out there that we're really looking for. I found you, but they still haven't found what I'm looking for. And of course, in that song, they go on to talk about the one who loosed them from their chains. You call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail. The unknown possible failure is scary. But you know, out there is where Jesus is. That's where he calls us to himself. The great unknown. Where failure is possible. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's a recognition that I wake up every morning tending to serve myself, tending to sin. And yet, I want to please God. So God, just take my heart, seal it, take it, protect it. Because I know I can't trust myself. Only songs right, do an adequate job to really encapsulate what life is really like. And life, in turn, causes us to recognize how much we need to get together and sing. So we go and live life, and in living life we recognize, man, this deserves a song. And, and that's why some children, including my youngest son, loves to sing. My son created about 35 songs about chocolate over Christmas, Gage did. Life causes us to recognize how much we need to get together and sing. A good moment, we sing for joy. Reflective moment, we sing about his past faithfulness and how the heck he got us this far. Dealing with sadness, doubt, and anger. We come together and we sing about it. And we mix in truths and promises that God gives us to address us in our doubt, our sadness, and our anger. Experience these things in life and it feels so right to respond with singing because that's what we were made to do. You and I were made to worship in the words of a worship song. We're created to sing. And you know, if we didn't, the very rocks outside would cry out and sing for us, the Bible says. God also cares, guys, not just that we sing, but he cares about the content of our songs, how we worship him. All right, so so far we've seen the what of worship, cherishing and exalting. The who of our worship, our cherished God revealed in Christ Jesus. 
the win of our worship, 24-7, 365, also intentionally gathering together as a church body to do this. The why of our worship. We're created to do it in this symbiotic relationship with life. To sing and to live and to live and to sing. But during this series and the next few weeks, we're going to focus primarily on how we worship because music can be deceptive. I was once told a story about a, a Christian woman serving God in South Africa, and while she was visiting this medical clinic, she uh, was deeply moved by the sound of these local um, women singing in the Zulu language. It was this hauntingly beautiful harmony. They just all sort of collectively sang together. Moved to tears and tingles down her spine. She asked her friend to, to, if she might translate those words for her and her friend said sure here's what they're saying if you boil the water you won't get dysentery <laughs> that was a song it was a hauntingly beautiful song the movie did. if you boil the water you won't get dysentery in english which is true <laughs> why do i share this though because being emotionally affected by music the tingling spines the shivers, the tears, and worshiping God are not necessarily the same thing. So on the one hand, we want to be deliberately thoughtful about how we worship. It involves engaging the mind. We want to be thoughtful about lyrics, about truth, about accurately reflecting the salvation wrought for us in Christ Jesus. So in the New Testament's most radical and supernatural teaching about worship in 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about prophecies and speaking in tongues and interpretations, Paul also stops to say, I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And he goes on to say, he stops in that passage, almost right in the middle, and says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants towards evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In worship. In how you engage with God. So on the one hand, we want to be deliberately thoughtful about how we worship and cherish and love God through song especially. But on the other hand, we want to be radically free. Radically free. We, don't, we needn't become preoccupied with correctness nor overthink. Am I singing the right thing to God? Is it going to be pleased by this? What about that last word? No. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so when we behold the glory of God, we start to be transformed as we worship and behold Him into His likeness from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord who is Spirit. And so there's this total engagement, connection, freedom as well. So it's both and. Deliberately thoughtful and radically free in our worship. That's what we want to go for. And we see this tension ingeniously through how God asks us to worship. In Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, as Jen read earlier, hymns, hymns, Slightly more towards thoughtful, right? Spiritual songs, slightly more towards freedom. Radical freedom. And then the Psalms, which are kind of in the middle. You get infallible truth, God's Word, the very Word of God. Yet it's kind of a, the Psalms are an emotional free-for-all. Every kind of emotion you can imagine is displayed in the Psalms. So there's this radical freedom as well. And that's where we're going to start this morning. The Psalms. Then next week, hymns. Final week, spiritual songs. Worshiping with the Psalms, singing and living God's prayer language. Let me give you a quick introduction to Psalms. The Psalms 
are a collection of 150 prayer songs located in the Old Testament. They're written by a variety of persons, but primarily by King David. They're written for a variety of occasions, mostly laments to work through grief, doubt, anger, but also hymns of praise and thanksgiving as responses to God's goodness. Wisdom psalms, royal psalms express thanksgiving for a king. Historical psalms to help God's people remember the great history they have. We have prophetic songs to remind us that there's a Messiah to come. Psalms to sing as a congregation or psalms to sing on the way to a festival. Martin Luther rightly called the Psalter the little Bible because it's all there in the Psalms. All the great themes are there in the Psalms. Creation, sin, rejection, wandering, doubting, mourning, salvation, joy, the church, and eternal life, heaven. All there in the Psalms. It's, it's glorious. The little Bible. And if any of you guys secretly read your younger sister's diary when you were a kid, all right, you can redeem that today. That will actually help you think through the Psalms and get, get a hold, a handle on the Psalms. Because the Psalms really are like entries into a prayer journal. Entries into a prayer journal by people who wish to trust a good God while the world's falling apart around them. And so they write to God about it. And they pour out their hearts to God about it. So when you read the Psalms, you are in a sense reading over someone's shoulder. Because the psalmist's audience isn't you and I, per se. Primarily, it's him. So you're reading over the shoulder as someone is writing and praying to God. See? That's how we're supposed to understand these. And if that's not unique enough, each entry into this prayer journal is not only an expression to God, but is authored by God. It's inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Imagine writing out your prayers to God, freely expressing all kinds of thoughts and feelings going on in here. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind this morning, but imagine expressing all that to God, but He elevates it to such an extent that it's this perfect expression of raw emotion. It's an infallible and inerrant expression of everything you feel. Can you imagine that? Some of you are like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure God didn't inspire that last word. What's going on in my head? But this is what happens. It's a mystery. And yet, what a gift. God knowing us better than we know ourselves. He gives us the best language to vent, to grieve, to celebrate, to wonder, and deceive without compromising the integrity of His Word. It's amazing. So the bottom line is we should use this. And we're going to start doing that this morning. Let's start using the Psalms. Here's our roadmap. The Psalms declare a few things. The Psalms declare that God is alien, so we need a language to make contact. The Psalms declare that God is generous, so they give us a language to respond. The Psalms declare that God is communal, so they give us language to address one another. So let's get to work learning God's prayer language, the Psalms. Firstly, God is alien, and so he gives us language to make contact with him. The Psalms describe themselves as alien, by which I mean God is wholly other than us, both in his nature and in his morality. I don't mean God is a little green man, a little Martian. He's wholly other than us in nature and morality. His makeup is different. He is completely spirit, as we read earlier. We are not, right? I can shake your hand, give you a little hug. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. We are not. We like to think so sometimes, and we're not. 
He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. We are not. Immorality. Completely different in his morality. He is omnibenevolent. He's good in all he does, and all he does is good. We don't do good in all we set out. He is always faithful. He always does right. We do not. So he is alien from us, other than us. And so in Psalms 15 24, David asks, Who can ascend the hill of Yahweh? Who can stand there with him in his house? And of course, the answer is only someone who is like him. That person would come in Jesus Christ. More on that another time. But it is good that he's wholly other than us. It is good that he's wholly other than us. Why? Have you, have you tried? to steward your own life? Think of all the gifts and talents God's given you. You've tried to use them faithfully. And it's hard. Imagine trying to steward the universe. Take everything that's good in the universe and you're in charge of dealing it out to different people, organizations, different times, different places. This idea was well sort of imagined and thought out through that winsome film, Bruce Almighty. Remember this film? When God lends Bruce played by Jim Carrey, the power but also the responsibility to steward not only his own life, but others, the world. And it, that, That's a very clever thing to do because we are sort of challenged, are we? How would you deal with people's prayers? And how would you deal with your own life if you had all this power? So he uses his power to answer his own prayer. He brings the moon forward to impress his girlfriend. And it goes great the first night until the the lunar changes in the tide cause a tsunami in Asia. He says yes to every person's prayer over email. I think it's Yahweh instead of Yahoo. And this chain reaction of, of yes to every person's prayer causes chaos. Because if God said yes to every person's prayer on everything, there would be injustice. There would be too much. There would be excess. There would be idolatry. Yet it's equally problematic that God is alien. How do we make contact with a being who is totally other than us? Who is totally different in all these ways than us? That theme was well explored in another film, 1997 film called Contact, starring um, uh, Jodie Foster and a young Matthew McConaughey. Foster's character spends her life as a scientist in the field of astronomy, exploring the question, are we alone in this world? question which all of us ask at some point, I think. Are we alone? And you watch her enduring struggle to crack the code, to discover the language, to make contact with something or someone that's totally alien from her. Meanwhile, McConaughey's character is a Christian philosopher who tries to tell her, hey, Jody, you're looking in the wrong place. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> right? It's like, man, Jody, 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 you should have listened to Matthew McConaughey. It's probably the only time that's ever been uttered in a sermon. By the way, you should have listened to Matthew McConaughey. But here it is. Language. Language to make contact with God is right here in the Psalms. The only requirement to do so, to make contact with this other God, is humble honesty. Simple, humble honesty. We see this throughout the Psalms. God communicates with the poor in spirit. Those who know they need help. Contact with God, starting with humble honesty. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 4. My fears, a shadow of shame, 
verse 5. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering, verse 6. I cried to him for help. I called to him for help. I am brokenhearted, verse 18. I am crushed in spirit. I sought the Lord and he answered me, verse 4. Do you hear that in the Psalms? Psalm 34 is our example. Humility. I need help. I cry out. I'm in distress. Humility isn't expressed solely in meekness or just thinking about others. It's acknowledging I'm angry. God, I don't don't know what to do about my anger. I don't know how to get rid of it. I'm despondent. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm just in this hole and I don't know how to dig out of it. It's recognizing I can no longer look inward for self-help. So I lift my eyes up and ask, where could this help come from? That is in the Psalms where we go Godward for help. Psalms like Psalm 34 give us the language to acknowledge our condition, our true condition, to hear from God through it and to wrestle our way out of it. It's all there, all the resources and the tools in the Psalms. If you're buried by despondency and despair, There's Psalm 22. The language of Psalm 22 can get you out of it. When you're disturbed by the violence in your city, there's the language of Psalm 55. When you don't sense God's presence in your life anymore, there's the language of Psalm 69, 88, 89. Or maybe you're just broken by your own failure, your inability to follow God well. The language of Psalm 38 and 51. It's all there. Only requirement is to be humbly honest about it. So second thing here, the Psalms also remind us that God is generous. So he gives us the language to respond to his amazing and abundant generosity. God is generous. We need language to respond. Psalm 34, God is generous. He answers. Verse 4, he delivers. He changes. He hears, he saves, his angel guards, verse 7. He delivers. He will give us all we need. We will lack no good thing, verses 9 and 10. He looks and hears, verse 15. He turns his face against those who do evil, verse 16. He hears, verse 17. He delivers. He hears, verse 18. He saves. He delivers, verse 19. He protects, verse 20. He redeems, verse 22. He freely pardons, verse 22. God is generous, and so we respond with, by praising him at all times, I will constantly speak, his praises, verse 1. By boasting only about the Lord, verse 2. By encouragement, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust in him, verse 8. By inviting others, come, come my children and listen to me and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Do any of you want to live a life that is long and good? Verse 11 and 12. Respond with your life. Then watch your tongue. Keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Work hard at living in peace 
with others. Verse 13 and 14. Amen. Psalm 34. We're given language to respond to God's deliverance, to his help, to his answer to our prayer, to respond with praise, with encouragement towards others, with how we live our very lives, as Neil read. He's been so generous. I think it was uh, G.K. Chesterton who once noted that the single most frustrating moment for an atheist is when he is met with an impulse of gratitude but has no one to thank. On Christmas Day, uh, my and my brother's family were blessed to do this uh, bioluminescent kayak tour for the first time. Just incredible, awesome. Uh, These organisms warn neighbors when they sense harm by emitting this chemical response. And and they're recharged, almost like a solar panel, daily by the sun so they can display themselves in the evening. Remarkable. And and in the case of especially these so-called disco shrimp, you can imagine why they're called disco shrimp, disco balls, good times. When you strike the ground with a paddle, it looks like an electric shock for like a 10-foot radius as they all warn each other. And so you see this amazing, like, shock underground of electricity. And I comment to our party, man, God has put the stars above in the skies and below in his seas. All for us to enjoy. Later that, that evening going to bed, I read from Psalm 148, 3 and 4. Praise Him, the sun and moon. Praise Him, you heavens and waters. Let the whole earth praise Him. And I just said, yes, God. Saw that today. Imagine seeing that and having no one to thank. But we do. And God gives us the language for that. It's amazing. Thirdly, God is communal. What do I mean by God is communal? I mean that God has a community. We just got through last year reading uh, the Gospel of Mark. We went to the Gospel of Mark, talked through it, looked at the life and ministry of King Jesus. And we, one, one little section we looked at was in Mark chapter 12. Jesus was teaching. And he looks at everyone and he says, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, and here's Jesus quoting from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus asked the crowd. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? In other words, Jesus' saying is, there's more than one person in the Godhead. God is a community. So the Lord said to my Lord. Jesus is saying, I am one of the members of the Godhead. And we're a community. So even here in the Psalms, we see that. And then God gives us language, since we're a community, bonded through Christ to address one another. So Ephesians 5 said, right, what Jen read, address one another in psalms. Now, I'm just trying to understand what that's like. Do we actually go about singing to each other? Is life a musical? I, I sure hope not. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy it for a time. Now, I, here's my explanation. First of all, I hope you enjoyed the testimony that Zach Boland gave, Zach from Citizens and Saints. We're going to do one of those every week get you familiar with their band, and have them talk about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I like the quote he gave from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where he says, the richness of God's word ought to determine our prayers, not the poverty of our hearts. I mean, I think about it. I was thinking this week and reflecting on the relational language that I've learned and adopted in my life. Maybe you can think of that with me here. 
What's the relational language that you've learned and adopted in your life? It's determined largely then by family and now by friends or Facebook or Facebook friends. Maybe the relational language is distant and cold. That's what you grew up with. Or maybe it was formal and relevant, friendly or comforting. Maybe your sort of family and early life was easy and light. Maybe it was superficial and sarcastic. Maybe that was your family or what you know now. Maybe it's nice but non-confrontational. No matter where you land, there's a poverty in our hearts and in our language. We have a hard time relating. One helpful way, I think, to reflect on our relational language with each other is think about when you see someone on a Sunday morning. It's just you and them. And you walk up to them the first time. And sometimes, like, I don't know what to say. I, I know the person. I'm the pa- like, lead pastor of the church. I'm just like, huh, I think I've exhausted everything in our conversation. Or I only talk about, you know, maybe you revert to your last encounter with them. Hey, did you end up doing this and that with so-and-so? Ask and talk about work. You ask and talk about family. You pass on a little tidbit or anecdote about something you share in common, maybe a hobby or something you enjoy, all of which is great, good and well. But will we go no further in how we address each other? As believers, as saints, as children of the living God? Is it just, hey, what's up? Consider that most of us don't come to church for the same talk and the same language you've heard during the week. One of the reasons we come here on Sunday is that the same talk and the same language of the world is something we're kind of tired of, we're weary of. We want something real and substantive and different, authentic. So we need a language to address those who, like you and I, are very much in the world, but not of the world. Right? We are different. If you know Jesus, your life has been changed. You are in a different category by the grace of God. So we need a language to reflect that. The Psalms give us such a vocabulary. Let's listen again to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 2. My soul boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Verse 3. Come, let's talk about the Lord's greatness. Let's exalt his name together. Verse 9. O fear the Lord. You, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you how to fear the Lord. I hope you heard that the Psalms are not only about just how we talk to God. In this Psalm, David says, come, let's talk together about the Lord. Let's come. He's inviting people, let's exalt his name together. It's a community project. I wanted you to hear from Nasaria, Neil, and Jim. I wanted you to hear them share the language of the Psalms to get a sense that these aren't pastor words or academic words. These aren't words merely to study during sermons, during the Bible study portion of community group. But I suggest that we use these words. Start by praying these out loud daily. Taste them. See them start to flavor how we address one another. They're not about frivolous matters but praise, inviting someone to experience in God's goodness for themselves to, to practice honest humility together. I want to encourage you this week. Maybe it begins with just starting with the Psalm 30s. Read the Psalm 30s this week. 30, 31, 32, 33, etc. Get some music. Maybe you sing these amazing prayers to God. 
The Psalms, God's prayer language can be found on many a CD and on and many an iTunes search. Put it as a melody in your hearts all day long so that our very lives may begin to, to praise Him. When the Holy Spirit prayed through David, Psalm 34, it's interesting, God had delivered David from the hand of a foreign king. Now, God gave him the idea to act like a lunatic. So David goes to a foreign king. He realizes he's probably going to be a slave his whole life if he stays there. So what does David do? He starts acting crazy. He starts actually drooling down his beard, 1 Samuel says. David also had a beard, because everyone loves beards, right? He starts drooling, starts drooling. And, and the king makes this great comment to his subjects. He says, do I, do I not have enough crazy people in my kingdom? <laughs> this is a great moment in the Bible. So he, says, he banishes David. And David walks back across the borders into Israel, but he walks back alone. And immediately, he kind of sees in the distance, I think, these people, actually 400 in all, come to join him as a community. 400 men. And it says, quote, this is 1 Samuel 22, everyone who was in distress and debt, bitter in soul, gathered to him. To fellow strugglers like you and I, David gave a psalm. Sunrise, let's not settle on our own language, but read, pray, and sing God's. To lift up the eyes of fellow strugglers to God and further bond us together in all unity. We can start right now. Stand with me, and we're going to start right now. Let's begin to sing God's prayer language together. Sing praises to Him. Sing your prayers to Him.